brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Here is an email from Ohio. I think this is really interesting. And y'all may hear a rooster crow behind me. Uh, we've got like six roosters now. I don't. We bought a bunch of chickens and we didn't know the sex of them and five or six of them wound up being roosters they're real pretty and they're not fighting too much yet so if they there he goes they're young and learning how to crow (laughs) and they sound ridiculous but they're uh putting on their big boy pants and trying to attract some of these hens but anyway this is a story from ohio that i really thought was good and here's what the man writes In the late 1990s, I was deer hunting down in Athens County, Ohio. It was a four-hour drive from my house on a Friday night, and I planned to arrive at the area around midnight. I got the gear out of my truck and started the walk to my spot. I had to walk up four big stair steps cut in the side of this big mountain, and by the time I reached the top where it leveled out, I was out of breath. I leaned against a big tree to catch my breath, and then I decided I wasn't going all the way to the spot that I wanted to hunt. I was tired, and this spot looked as good as any to sleep. I spread out my sleeping bag, and I sat down. This is how I hunted in those days. I would get there before anyone else and sleep a short distance from where I wanted to set up, and it worked out great. I wanted something to eat after the hike up. I pulled a couple of snacks out of my backpack, and then I heard a commotion above me and to my right. And to my horror, something huge was barreling down the hill straight at me. Of course, my first thought was that it was a bear, but this thing was running on two legs. A bear couldn't move that fast in an upright posture. I reached for my pistol, and I remembered I had left it in the truck, and in a panic, I pushed the button on my flashlight and I heard the bulb click and go out. There was enough light from the moon to see the shape of this enormous creature, though, and there I sat in the dark with a crossbow. I would have one shot 
and it wouldn't be a kill shot. There was no way to outrun this thing, and it was closing on me fast. I was out of time. The growls from hell got closer and closer, and I raised my crossbow and I was ready to shoot when this thing took a slight turn and ran past me down the hill. As it ran, leaves, branches, sticks that lay on the ground and dirt lofted into the air. Other than the size and speed of this creature, this is what I remember. Trash flying up and past me in his wake. It felt like ten minutes before all that stuff settled. I guess I was in shock. I didn't know it then, but I was shaking uncontrollably and I couldn't inhale enough oxygen. I felt like I was about to pass out, but I didn't. Trees were snapping when it hit the road way down below me and it stopped growling. And my guess was that it walked down the road and it was gone. I remember hoping that was the case. I never slept that night. I never laid down on my sleeping bag. I just sat there against that tree, afraid to move until the sun came up. When the beautiful rays of sunshine came into the woods, I cautiously eased down that mountain to my vehicle and I drove out. And I watched for that thing until I finally hit pavement. My wife was surprised to see me when I walked in and I told her the story. She didn't say much and I don't know what she thought about me. I think if my flashlight had worked and I saw this thing, I really would have passed out, or maybe that would have directed this thing's attention toward me. I guess I'll never know. But I am alive to tell this story. I didn't die of fright or a Bigfoot attack, and I'm thankful for that. Ten years later, I was talking to a friend at work. He described a few hunts they had been on in that same area, so we had something in common to talk about. I went ahead and told him the story that I just told you. He was quiet for a while, uncomfortably quiet, and I wondered if he thought I was crazy. And then he told me his story about that area. I don't know exactly what happened to them, but he mentioned that growl from hell. And then he told me they had never been back to that area to hunt. They wouldn't go back there for anything, he said. Well, he and I parted ways and we've never talked about it again. I'm 72 years old now and I don't hunt much, but when I get to go, it is not in that area. Oh man, what a great story. That was, uh, woo! I, I just can't imagine how scary that would be. In the dark. Sitting in the dark in the woods on the side of a big hill or mountain. And here comes this giant thing barreling down the mountain. You just have to assume it's coming at you. And he was ready. I mean, all he had was a crossbow. You get one shot with one of those and that's it. And that wasn't going to kill whatever. Even if it was a bear, it wouldn't have killed a bear. It takes a while for him to bleed out. But this thing takes a turn right at the last minute and, minute and runs by him. And that dirt and sticks and trash flying up behind it is, I can absolutely see that in my mind. But this was a great story. I appreciate the writer. Thank you, sir. I want to tell you guys about a new bar of soap that the Yeti Brothers have put out. It's called the Yeti IPA Beer Bar. It's here. It's ready to order and it's on their website at yetibars.net. You can also find it at Yeti Bars on Facebook. 
I haven't tried this soap, but it looks really good. A soap that smells like beer. I'm sure it smells really good. I'm about to order about four bars for myself. Go over to yetibars.net, order you some. Use the code DC10 at checkout. Get a 10% discount. All orders over $70 are free shipping. Stock up for the fall. Sounds like a good fall soap. Give it a try. Yetibars.net, Yetibars on Facebook. Here's a story from my neck of the woods just down the road in Tupelo, Mississippi. My son married a Mississippi girl and lived in northeast Tupelo until recently. It was a suburban area where the woods came up between the streets and they ran north to the forested hills and gullies along Elvis Presley Lake. We agreed it was squatchy looking. We even had some odd branch constructions way up high in those woods. All kind of wildlife frequented the area because his property backed up to the woods. Having grown up in the Pacific Northwest, he used to tease his kids about Bigfoot living in those woods, but he doesn't tease them any longer. I'll let him tell the rest of the story. We had a snowstorm March 11, 2022, and the wind had knocked the trash can on the side of the house over. It was about 7.45 or 7.50 p.m. My wife had just come home and we were picking up trash using the car headlights to see when something let out a whoop, howl, scream. That's the best way I can describe it. It was incredibly loud, at least as loud as a tornado siren. Sounded like it was from that patch of woods right down the street. I wouldn't be surprised if half the neighborhood heard it, especially the people up in the trailer park on the other side of the woods. It made us all jump. Oh, I can guarantee you the people in the trailer park heard it. You better believe that. (laughs) In fact, the unbelievably loud scream we heard started with a whoop and then built into a howl and finally a powerful but higher-pitched scream. And it was all in one breath. There was no pause. It was like it was singing a scale from low to high. I said, dang, that was close. My wife was like, what was that? I've lived around here most of my life, and I've never heard anything like that before. I have, I said. I guess my face gave it away because she asked, do you think it was Bigfoot? I said, yep, that was Bigfoot. Two weeks later, he was out back working on his lawnmower one night, and he heard a whoop from the same direction. It was answered by another whoop from the other end of the street by the pond in the woods. There's more than one, he thought. The next day, he laid down the law to a seven- and five-year-old. No whooping and no banging around on things, and don't even think about going back in those woods. And that's when he quit teasing the kids or mentioning Bigfoot. They moved to a different town soon thereafter. <laughs> oh, that's Tupelo. That's, uh, and that's in a suburban area. Now, that's pretty cool. You know, there's all kind of Bigfoot reports around here, around Mississippi. I live right on the edge of the Holly Springs National Forest. If y'all ever heard Kumbo talk, he talks about his stomping grounds in the Holly. Matter of fact, he even invited me to go with him one night. I don't really know if I want to go ride around in cars whooping for Bigfoots all night, but I might go. I don't know. I might go. But I kind of like the stories. I don't like to put myself in the mix. I don't want one of them things after me because those things charge Kumbo and those guys. 
So, uh, but this was a great story. I really appreciate the man sending it. And it was close to my, where I live. That makes it even more interesting for me. Here are a couple of audio files from Connor Flynn. Connor's a good friend of mine. He has the YouTube channel Bigfoot Anon, Bigfoot A-N-O-N, on YouTube and TikTok. You guys check him out. Here's Connor Flynn. Saw a werewolf. Easily the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. It was eating on a deer carcass on the side of a very rural Alabama back road. When our truck lights hit it as we came around the corner, it stood straight up and looked dead at us, turned around and walked into the wood line. The thing was so massive, it could have easily flipped over our tiny pickup truck. I have not been back to that part of town since November 2011. Live in northwestern Michigan. If you live in this area, you will hear stories about Bigfoot and the dogmen. I do feel the dogmen migrate with the fish in our little river and big Massini rivers in the area. The reason is why because kids, we would fish these rivers and see big human-like prints. They always appeared in the spring and fall when the fish run. One night, while fishing at a night with the spotlight, me and my friends saw a Bigfoot crossing the river, plain as day. It had a human-type face, and we put the spotlight on it. The creature opened its mouth and did a yell, screaming sound. We ran out of there. As I'm older now, I think the Bigfoot is just telling us to get out of his hunting grounds. I think these certain creatures use rivers to walk upstream when migrating so they're harder to track, especially with dogs. People bear hunt up there too. There's things in the Northland woods that have always remained a mystery. I've heard loggers in my area 30 years ago say they've seen Bigfoot people and dogmen prowl at night. Here's an interesting story from Indiana. And let's just jump into it. I, let's see if, if this person says to use their name. Yep, you can use my name if you want to call me Kelly. And that's the name on the email. Hi, Cam. This is a short story. So here's here it goes. All right, here we go. I'm telling you this story because it's absolutely true. It's not a Sasquatch story or ghost story, but it's very strange nonetheless. I grew up in southern Indiana in the late 70s and early 80s. Most people probably think of corn and bean fields when thinking of Indiana, and that's mostly true. But southern Indiana has some great rolling hills. It was 1984 and the forecast called for six inches of snow. My buddies and I knew we wouldn't have school the next day, so we planned on going out in a friend's four-wheel drive Bronco. After finding someone to get us some liquid refreshments, we headed out to what we call the Virgin Roading. This is when you cruise the back roads and find roads where the snow hasn't been driven on. And after an hour or so of riding, we had to take a nature call. My buddy was on somewhat of a main road out in the stick, so he pulled off to the side of the road for some privacy. And after we finished up our business, we saw tire tracks in the snow leading down the road. The tires were pretty narrow, and it looked like they were about three feet apart. We found this was strange, but it was going down this road just fine. We popped over a small hill and we found ourselves driving right into a graveyard. There was no other way out, so we started to turn around. 
and it was here that we noticed the tire tracks had stopped. There was absolutely no way the tire tracks could follow the exact path back out, and we noticed that there wasn't a bare spot where a car had been sitting or footprints that had gotten out of the car to leave. There was also no wind, so the snow couldn't have blown over the spot where it had been sitting or the footprints covered up. Yes, we had been drinking, but we were not out of our minds drunk yet. No one said anything as we drove out. My friend's tire tracks were outside of the smaller vehicle's tracks. We looked closely, and it was definitely a one-way trip. I finally asked when we got back on the main road if anybody was screwing with me. Everybody said no, and we headed back to town. I tried to find this road later in life, but I couldn't locate it. Everything looks different in the snow. You can use my name if you want. My name is Kelly. And everything looks different when you're sober, too, Kelly. <laughs> when you're not full of beer. Yeah, that's kind of a creepy, interesting story. I don't know what to think about that. These two tire tracks... Uh, what do you think that could have been? I don't I don't know what has small tires and the wheels are just three feet apart, but they go up in the graveyard and they just stop in the middle of a snowstorm and they just vanish. Uh, that's pretty odd. But that was an interesting story. I thought I'd share it with you guys. All right, here's an email I thought was really good. The writer says, I ran across your channel a few months back while I was sick with the common flu. Yes, there is still a common flu in Coles, and they just don't report it anymore because if tested, we all have COVID. No crap, man. Isn't that something? Nobody just gets the flu anymore. At any rate, I have never been attracted to podcasts or even videos unless I'm trying to fix something. And so thank you for your readings. You deliver the stories perfectly, and I look forward to each new one I find. Well, thank you very much, sir. Uh, they're not perfect, but... Uh, like this one. I'm kind of screwing this one up, but let's keep reading. I grew up in eastern Washington in a hunting-gathering kind of family. And by the time I was 14, my friends and I would regularly gather 22s and go off camping not far from home. All my friends also came from hunting families, and we had skinned and eaten every legal prey we could harvest. You sure you're not from Louisiana? Sounds like you're a Cajun. One warm afternoon in the 1970s while hiking out a canyon from an overnight stay, we found something in a small drainage that scared me and my buddies to the point that we never spoke of it again. There in the drainage laid what appeared to be a bloody, skinned-out monkey or ape. It had been perfectly skinned as if someone had removed the hide for tanning. The creature was only the size of a small child. It wasn't a bear though a skinned-out bear we had learned earlier in life does have a human look to them. After the sight of this creature, we walked home a bit scared and in disbelief, and to this day we have never brought it up again. So a short story and maybe nothing but monkeys or apes are not found in eastern Washington, nor did we know anyone who owned them. There was not even a zoo nearby, which makes it all the scarier. Thank you again for your time and sharing these incredible stories. I still hunt now near our home in western Montana. Other than a few hunts where not one critter can be found or heard, not even a forest bird, I have never seen anything like others have. And thank God for that too. 
I do believe they're around here, but maybe they have no care about me and they stay clear. Or maybe they know I carry much more than a bow and an arrow. They're pretty smart critters, I think. Uh, he signs off Randy. Yep, uh, apparently from these reports, they know what a gun is and I don't know, maybe maybe they know. I, I don't, maybe they're scared of guns. Who knows? But that's pretty interesting. You know, uh, I don't know. When I read these stories from people and they uh, are recounting events from their childhood, I remember seeing weird things in my childhood. Like I, now this is going to be kind of off topic, but for some reason this just popped in my head. I remember some buddies and I were, we, we used to ride ditches in Memphis. We'd get out in these ditches and they'd go for miles and miles and you'd find all kind of stuff in these ditches. Old bicycles, probably stolen bicycles, uh, old radios and things like that. And one time we came up on, it looked like just a magazine sitting there and it wound up being a girly magazine. I think it was a Playboy. And of course we all grabbed it. We were looking through the pages and... <laughs> And that was interesting, you know, as a young teenager to look at those pictures. I mean, we were boys, but I have never forgotten the thought. And I always think about who takes, who looks at those magazines in a ditch? I mean, how did that thing get there? I don't know. I don't, of course, none of the other guys were thinking that, but I'm asking the whole time, how the hell did this thing get down here? Who Who threw this thing in here? And I've thought through the years, probably some other teenage boy who, who was afraid his mother would find it in his bedroom or something and chunked it over from his backyard into the ditch. I don't know why that popped in my head. But the story's kind of about finding something odd on the side of the road. And they found a skinned out monkey. Now that's, that's a lot weirder than finding a girly magazine. But I thought that was very interesting. And uh, yeah, let's move along. Hopefully I don't get distracted too much again. Up, oh, there goes my rooster again, or one of the young roosters. Here is an email from a uh, person who, all right, I'm reading this cold. I just, I kind of read through a couple of paragraphs of this and I thought it looked kind of interesting, so I don't know what it's going to be, but here's what they write. I thought I would send this story told to me by my mother. I generally avoid sharing these types of stories with other podcasts. Since my first attempt when the podcaster responded that he would not include it since he avoids reading stories with religion in the story, I found this very disingenuous because he had no problem with non-Christian, pagan, Wiccan, voodoo inclusions in his podcast, and I trust you with how you present stories and you don't judge. My mom said this happened to her when she was in her late teens before she married my father, she was visiting some friend one evening when her friends decided to make a spirit board by drawing it on top of one of those old folding card tables. They also used an inverted teacup with the handle as the point of the planchette, planchette, point of a planchette, P-L-A-N-C-H-E-T-T. -T. I don't know what that word is. I don't know if she had ever heard of the bad things that could happen with these things, the group was asking their questions and she made the accusation that someone was making the answers by pushing the teacup. 
at several points in this session it stopped working and someone noticed that it always stopped when one of the young men came into the room. So when he left the room they asked why it was always stopped when he was there and it responded with a misspelled word P-R-E-S-T-H-O-D or something meaning priesthood. She said it couldn't spell very well. Apparently, the young man was a priest in his church. Her friends kept denying they were doing it, so she wanted to do it on her own. They all said it doesn't work with just one person, and she said if it really was working, it would work with only one. So she tried it, and she said it worked. She said there was an oppressive feeling, dark responses, and she got really uneasy. So to lighten things up, she asked if Santa Claus was real. The entity did not respond, so she started singing. Oh, here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus. And she said she got the impression that it was angry at her and taunting because the cup suddenly flew across the room and shattered on something across the room. We were always taught not to mess with these things because of the evil associated with them. And that's the end of her email. That was interesting. You know, I've heard stuff about these Ouija boards and, uh, what did she call it? It was, um, spirit board. That's what she called it. I've never heard of just making a spirit board, but I've, I think uh, when I was younger, we messed with a Ouija board and I thought it was kind of silly. Somebody was, it felt like somebody was pushing the little dial or the planchette in the, I guess that's what you call those. I don't know. Uh, they always seem kind of silly to me, but I hear people all the time don't mess with Ouija boards. But, And I don't have any problem talking about religion. A lot of people refer to Christ and Jesus and, you know, the call on the name of Jesus and all this stuff. And that just because I share them doesn't mean I agree with them. But, I mean, they are good stories and everybody, you know, has a right to their beliefs. Personally, I don't believe just calling on the name of Jesus to avoid some kind of catastrophe works because, I mean, it's like casting a spell. You can't use it like casting a spell, and none of that makes any sense. People just think you can do this or that. A lot of people, I got an email the other day. Somebody said I was uh, blaspheming God by reading some of these stories and I don't know. No one's ever asked me about my beliefs, and so I don't really share them. But I'll tell you what I believe. If you're if you're written in the book of life, if you've read the New Testament, and you understand what the gospel is, and uh, you understand who Jesus was, and get him right, you need to get Jesus right. I heard someone say once, you would do well to be an atheist rather than get Jesus wrong. Don't get him wrong. Read that New Testament. Read some commentary if you need to. Don't just listen to your preacher. You need to form your own opinions on who Jesus was and is. But if you're written in the book of life, there's no Ouija board. There's no demon. There's nothing that can touch you. You can walk into a room of Satanists. The demon can't, you know, the demonic forces, they they can't bother you. You belong to the king of the universe. So a lot of the people who are afraid of this stuff, just remember that if you're really... Uh, if you've been quickened and brought to life by Christ, you have no worries. You really don't. I mean, you're written in the book of life. It can't be erased. All right. I guess that's enough of my religion there, but I just don't get too worried about this stuff. I don't worry about blaspheming God. I don't 
Some people get upset because um, I've written and others have written, I won't say the word, but GD, and they, they get real upset because you've taken their precious Lord Jesus' name in vain. That's not taking his name in vain. That's that's referring to, uh, it's no different than when you say, oh God, or good Lord, and you don't mean it with 100% every fiber in your body. You're taking the Lord's name in vain. We do it all the time. And I think God knows our hearts. He knows where we are, and he knows how our speech works. So, ooh, whoa, I didn't mean to get off into that. But uh, anyway, religious stuff doesn't bother me. I know there's people out there who just, oh, they just can't stand to hear it. And I can't figure out why. I don't know why it makes them so mad, but lighten up. You know, some people believe different than you do, and it's... uh, if you can't listen to it, then you, you may have a problem. But anyway, I'm not pushing my religion on anybody. I never have. But that's that's a few of the little things that I believe. So, all right, let's do one more story. We'll wind this podcast up. All right, here is a story. We'll wind up with this one from my friend Gerald. Gerald has sent, I bet he sent me a half a dozen stories. And he takes, uh, I'm a, I've never talked to Gerald, but we just kind of communicate via email. And he writes stories about his local area and and uh, a lot of folklore and things that are true. Things he's heard, I guess, through the years or has researched. Gerald, if I'm wrong, you can email me and tell, but he's a good writer. And he recounts stories that he knows about. This one is called, um, oh, I can't remember the name of it. I can't remember what he called it in the email, but I'm just going to read it. It was a breathless, dry day in Walnut Run, Iowa. Sunlight fell like a golden lance. Bud DeYoung jounced up and down in the tractor's hard seat. That's the only thing wrong with this John Deere 4020, he thought, this open cab. He ran a brown arm over his forehead. Damn this dusty work, he thought. Behind him, the plow blades turned over thick scabs of earth and he steered deeper into the mound. DeYoung had bought his land last autumn from Irwin Path as the old-timer began disposing of his life. Cancer would kill him in December, and Path was reduced to his holdings so as to have something to leave his wife and children. His son was an accountant in Des Moines, and his daughter had married a young dentist and moved to Colorado with him, and neither was interested in taking over the large farm. DeYoung felt a small pang of guilt for having driven such a hard bargain with old Paff, but only a small pang. Paff was one of the old-timers, the old fogies who sat in their ways and so superstitious about farming. It was 1971, the 20th century, and farming was now scientific, and there's no room for sentimental worries of an old man. Agriculture Secretary Earl Butts was advocating all-out fence-post-to-fence-post cultivation. DeYoung had never understood why Path had let this fat land lie fallow. There was lush, loamy soil under the grasses and wildflowers. Pay dirt, Iowa style. Incredibly, DeYoung Path had cautioned him. That mound over there by Walnut Creek? That's an old one, that mound. Searchingly, Paff had looked up into the younger man's face. That's from the Cahokia people, before the Mandans, before the Pawnee. Who knows what lies under that mound? 
It's best just to leave it alone, son, he said. De Young smirked at the thought. What an old goat. Good land like that. Just wasting it. You find those airheads and bits of pottery every spring, cast up by the winter frost, and they don't mean anything. These Indians had this land for a long time. They just wasted it. Yep, he concentrated on plowing down the distinctive mound. In the distance, a small plain was silhouetted against the sun. It was too early for crop dusting, he thought. Must be just general aviation. It's a perfect day for flying. Three passes later, the mound was no more. Now, provingly, de Young looked back over his shoulder at the rutted furrows. Corn, he decided. This whole section will be in corn. He was trying to compute what his potential return on the investment might be when a dark shadow crossed over him. He peered up, but there was nothing there. And then in the distance, he saw it. It was a small plane canted at an impossible angle, and then it banked upward. He stared, and the plane flapped its wings. Bud DeYoung braked the tractor to a halt, and he blinked. It was so far and so high now that it was difficult to see, but the plane soared lazily against the sun. Again, its wings flapped two, three, four times, and it wasn't an aircraft. It was a bird. Some fantastic bird. What the hell, DeYoung thought as he watched the giant bird turn toward him. Its wingspan was easily 30 feet tip to tip, maybe longer. The improbable bird was larger than the Cessnas and Pipers DeYoung had seen in the Iowa sky all his life, and now the bird was diving toward him at an incredible speed. Clean sunlight illuminated brilliant red and gold coloration, and the bird's beak gleamed like a gemstone. DeYoung ducked involuntarily as the impossibly huge bird careened toward him, and it passed, just missing him, and in his peripheral vision, he saw intensely dark-hooded eyes. There was no grace, no mercy in those black eyes. Distracted and alarmed, he had lost concentration and driven the deer out of the field and down the creek bank. The diesel engine chugged and barked and restarted, but the tractor wheels were firmly mired in the sodden ground. DeYoung shifted into reverse, but the heavy plow behind him had bitten deep into the earth and it was lodged, and he couldn't go forward or back. Distantly, he could see the bird turn and begin another plummet toward him. And desperately, he shook the steering wheel from side to side, but to no avail. He was stuck. DeYoung jumped down from the tractor and scrambled up the creek bank and began to run for his life. The bird was closing quickly. He looked up in time to see the bird swooping toward him at astonishing speed, and so large it blocked the sun and all possibilities of escape. Its huge talons opened wide like gutting knives leveled out toward him, and he opened his mouth to scream. This was written by Gerald Gustafson, October 2021. Great story, Gerald. I'd be curious to know if this is folklore around that area in Iowa or if it's some piece of fiction you made up, but it's a really good story. I loved it. When a writer can take a thought and an action 
and condense it down to a story like this and tell the whole story and then have an impact on the on the listener or the reader he's done a good job and gerald's a great writer thanks gerald Thanks for joining me on this podcast. I don't know how long it's going to wind up, but I've got quite a few stories in this thing. And I hope you all have enjoyed it. If you think it's good, give me a thumbs up. Maybe even hit the subscribe button and come back for the next video because we're just having fun. That's all we're doing. We're just having fun telling these stories. So you guys come back. But until then, thanks for watching and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.